Welcome back to The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. My name is Sonny Bunch. I'm culture editor at The Bulwark. Uh, and I'm very pleased to be rejoined today by Scott Mendelson. Now, we've had Scott on the show a couple of times. We've got big, exciting news. Scott has his own Substack. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna talk about that a little bit. Uh, if you go to scottmendelson.substack.com, the outside scoop. It's gonna be. It's gonna. I'll. I'll link to it in, in the newsletter that comes with this this podcast, and we'll we'll get it out there. You should go sign up if you like Scott's box office musings, and I do. So I've been reading Scott for years now. He's always. Uh, he has. He has a recall for numbers that I greatly envy. He'll just be like, "Well, yes, of course, you know, uh, this movie dropped twenty seven percent in its third weekend, and that compares with." This and it's 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 very impressive stuff. I'm I'm always uh, glad to read him. Uh, Scott, thanks for being back on the show. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me back. So, uh, as folks know, you are uh, a box office guru. You are uh, my guy, who I like to talk to about what is what is the actual health of um, the cinematic landscape. Uh, so let's start there, uh, just talking about the state of the overall box office. I mean. On the one hand, things look better this year. Uh, year over year, box office grosses are up about twenty two percent. You know that means that if if that holds, the the final year end number is going to be I forget I forget I looked at it about nine million. Uh, nine, excuse me, uh, nine billion ish. Nine billion ish, which uh, obviously is is better than last year, much better than twenty 2020 twenty or twenty twenty one. Still two billion or so below the high water mark in two thousand nineteen two thousand eighteen. Um, I can't, I don't know. I feel like things are getting better. Uh, and yet there is, uh, there may be some permanent loss. Well, yes. And a couple things. I don't, I believe that 2019 was sort of a, a, a I don't want to say a fluke, but you had the last Star Wars, the last Avengers, Frozen 2, what was theoretically the last Toy Story. Disney had a fire sale of all of its, the, the biggest possible versions of all of its biggest brands. That was arguably both because Dave, Bob Iger was about to retire and because Disney Plus was about to launch. And theoretically, if you put all these films out in 2019, they can be on Disney Plus at some point in 2020. Um, in fact, you know, rival studios, I would argue, moved some of their films out of 2019, either because of that or just by circumstance. You know, Wonder Woman 84 was supposed to come out in tw late 2019. Death of the Nile was supposed to come out in 2019. Sonic the Hedgehog, No Time to Die, Top Gun Maverick was supposed to come out in 2019. And moving those films out of this, this you know, Disney wrecking ball seemed like the smart play because, all due respect, I don't think any of us saw a global pandemic coming down the pike. Um, so a lot of the circumstances that studios like Disney are dealing with now were stuff that they probably would have had to deal with in 2020 or 2021. But because of COVID and because of the circumstances thereof, you know, now they're dealing with it. For example, you know, a wish is obviously a catastrophic flop for Disney animation. They haven't really had a breakout smash since frozen two. Um, elemental legged out to 450, but it's still on a $200 million budget. It's it's, it will probably make money in the end, but it's not a blowout hit. Good, you know, quality notwithstanding. Um, now, is that, oh, no, people don't go to Disney animation movies anymore? You know, did Disney Plus, you know, teach people to stay at home? That's a, that's a fair argument. But something else to consider was that since after Coco in late 2017, 
original animated films had been struggling theatrically even before COVID. But Disney's output in 2018 and 2019 were all sequels. Frozen 2, Toy Story 4, Wreck-It Ralph Breaks the Internet, um, Incredibles 2, um, and, you know, Illumination hasn't had an original film since Sing. That's not a criticism. You, They had a number of original hits like Sing and Despicable Me, and that allows them to make, you know, cash and sequels to those properties. Um, so, and obviously 2020, the, you know, the, the pandemic occurred. So Disney really didn't deal with this new normal of, you know, non-sequel animation struggling until Encanto in 2021. And that's unfortunate because Encanto is a very good movie. I would argue the three films they sent to Disney Plus were very good movies. I didn't hate Lightyear, but obviously there was no interest, just like there was no interest in you know solo a Star Wars story, especially overseas. Um, so that is an example of a problem that studios probably would have had to deal with in 2020, absent COVID circumstances. Because there were a lot of rough and tumble, you know, high-level theatrical franchises that were coming to a natural end in 2019 or, as it turned out, was supposed to be 2020, like Daniel Craig's James Bond films, you know, again, like the Skywalker saga, like the Infinity saga, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, the It series for, you know, Luna Line. So what was Hollywood going to look like theatrically after these surefire sagas were coming to a natural end in a world where it is very, very, very hard to make new to cinema franchises. That was always going to be a challenge after, you know, this pack of newbies, this pack of, of declining franchises. And I don't know what the answer looks like because everything's been changed because of COVID and a push to streaming, et cetera, et cetera. And not to be mean about it, but, you know, lots and lots of people died in the COVID pandemic. And those included people that would have gone to the movies otherwise. And that includes you know, loved ones who were left behind that otherwise might not think of it's that big of a deal to go see the new Marvel movie as maybe they did in 2018. Yeah. Um, so, but getting back to where we are now, I think if we get back to something resembling 2016, 2017, 2018, that would be a huge victory. Mm-hmm. That being said, as we've seen this year, you know, in 2022, overall box office was down by about a third, but overall releases were down by about a third Mm -hmm. because Hollywood was frankly still a little gun shy in terms of putting films into theaters. And even though I think they had kind of learned their lesson in terms of putting all their eggs in a streaming basket, that unfortunately wasn't a light bulb, light switch that you could just turn on and off. So this was the first year since COVID where we saw something approximating a normal number of wide theatrical releases. And the fact that we're getting pretty close to pre-COVID normality is a very encouraging sign that if you have a normal amount of movies, you're going to have a normal amount of box office. So as long as you don't have something like, oh, I don't know, a dual labor strike to screw over the release slate to leave 2024 with, you know, another lower-than-expected slate of movies, you'd be fine-ish. Yeah. Um, I mean, that that is... I mean, that's certainly a thing we're going to have to consider for the next year is the 
the decreased output that will naturally result as a as a result of the uh, twenty twenty three strikes. Um, but the but there there so the you know COVID COVID did a number of things in terms of just closing theaters down. Period. I mean, just like theaters yes. theaters were closed, you people couldn't literally could not go to them, um, which uh, resulted in studios not releasing films, etc. But there is also, I mean, there there are like enormous business changes that have occurred, and I just want to two recent examples of this phenomenon. Um, uh, the Holdovers, uh, which is released by Focus Features, uh, which is owned by Universal, which owns Peacock, and uh, Saltburn, which was released by MGM, which uh, MGM was purchased by Amazon. Of course, Amazon has Prime Video, and you have these two movies, uh, The Holdovers and Saltburn, that come out. And they do okay in limited release. Not not they're not putting up, you know, thirty thousand dollars per screen in their third week or anything, but they're they're doing pretty well. They're holding well, they're not dropping that much. Uh and yet w- the holdovers is now on VOD. The holdovers is now on VOD. Uh there was an email or a, a press release went out the day after Saltburn's, I think it was third weekend in medium release. You know, it had dropped just 10%, it dropped 9% or something like that. And yet uh, a press release goes out and says, guess what? Saltburn's going to be on Prime Video on December 22nd. And it's just like, why Why are you cutting yourself off at the knees like this? Give these things time to breathe. But on the other hand, look, from the perspective of the studios, they they are looking at movies that aren't making a ton of money. They can make more money. They can keep a higher percentage of the money on VOD. So why not just shift the audience there? Uh, I am of... Several minds about this. First of all, I mean, Saltburn is going to do whatever it's going to do. I don't think, you know, even 30 years ago, that's a film that we'd all be saying, oh, critics liked it, but nobody's showing up. I mean, I know, I'm, you know, when I was 14, we were all, you know, hand wringing about why nobody was going to quiz show. Um, so even like The Holdovers, great movie, but Paul Giamatti is not a butts and seats movie star. That's not an insult. I mean, who is these days, with a couple exceptions, DiCaprio, Bullock, you know, in certain circumstances, Denzel Washington. Um, But there has been very little evidence to suggest that the PVOD marketplace, that's where a film comes out and is available to rent for about 20 bucks for 48 hours. This was started by Universal slash Comcast in April of 2020 with Trolls World Tour. There is very little evidence to suggest that that revenue stream has cannibalized theatrical. Studios seem to think, and although they're hiding numbers as if they're, you know, state secrets, they seem to suggest that they can have their cake and eat it too, that they're getting that revenue from people that wouldn't have seen it in theaters anyway. Um, And in my mind, if that's true, then PVOD has made the studio programmer a safer theatrical bet than it was, you know, in seven years probably. Because audiences staying home and watching stuff on streaming instead of going to the theaters to see just a movie, that's been a problem, a big problem since late 2015, early 2016. Um, But if these films can make substantial revenue, relatively speaking, on PVOD, but they only make that revenue if they are wide theatrical releases... As we've generally seen, if you look at the mm-hmm. VOD lists, you know, mm-hmm. week in, week out, Voodoo, Google, whatever, 
most of the films at the top of those lists are theatrical releases. Um, so then you have a financial incentive to release those films in theaters. Now, do I think that, you know, in Comcast's case, not to pick on Comcast, maybe the rule should be 17 days after a movie goes wide, as opposed to 17 days after it, you know, platforms? Yes, I do. I do think if I were, you know, if it was my company, ha ha ha, I would have changed it to where, okay, the holdovers goes wide over Thanksgiving weekend. 17 days after that is when it goes on PVOD. But that may be just, you know, to, you know, you know, that may just be nitpicking. Well, sure. And I, um, and I, I do think that we should draw a distinction here between PVOD, premium video on demand, the, yes. the $20, $30 rental or purchase uh, after, after some period of time and streaming video on demand, which I think are, you know, I mean, I look at Disney pluses, I look at Disney struggles in the animation realm and I blame that entirely on uh, streaming video. I, the the existence of Disney Plus has destroyed the theatrical market for Disney animated films. And look, and they'll release Frozen Three, and that'll make a billion dollars, and people will say, "Okay, it's back." But like, at the same time, I I I think uh, you know, I I, do, I think there 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 are two separate issues here. Um. Yes, I agree with you, and I'm I'm less, eh, who cares about something like Saltburn going to to streaming where it's free to everybody that has free shipping um, as soon as, what, the 22nd, I think? Mm -hmm. And again, the argument there is like, look, it's a grim two-hour-and-change melodrama that's basically the talent of Mr. Ripley, but a lot less, you know, even less commercially appealing for various reasons. This movie's going to make whatever it's going to make in theaters, whatever. Um, And I am sympathetic, even if I don't agree on a case-by-case basis. Um, as far as Disney, I mean, yes, I agree with you that Disney Plus has hurt Disney theatrical in a way that, say, HBO Max or Max has not hurt Warner Brothers, or in a way that, obviously, Peacock has not hurt Universal. Part of that is just because I think Disney has a lot more subscribers than some of these other services, and partially because, to state the obvious, Disney Plus is far more associated with the Disney brand than something, than something like Peacock is associated with Universal or Max is associated with Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, now, is there a fear, you know, in the future that you are slowly but surely training audiences to wait 17 days to 31 days to rent something for 20 bucks or to watch something for free on a streaming service in, you know, 60 to 90 days? Yes. But... It's been three years since Trolls World Tour, almost four years. There have been countless examples of theatrically successful films that not only did very well in theaters despite a, re- a smaller theatrical window, that they didn't drop dead as soon as they went to PVOD or Paramount Plus. Uh, you know, from A Quiet Place 2 to The Batman to Barbie to Oppenheimer, whatever. Right now, PVOD doesn't seem to be hurting theatrical. And in some ways, it may help by financially incentivizing studios to release a greater variety and perhaps a greater number of films in theaters than they might have done if it was just theatrical or bust. Yeah. But that's my very optimistic point of view on that. No, I, I 
think there, I look, I think there's a good case to be made for that, right? Look at something like The Northman, right? Focus Features insists yes. that The Northman was profitable after PVOD. You know, it didn't, it didn't do a ton yes. of business in theaters, but they, they made their money back on uh, VOD. And you can't really make the money back on VOD without having the 30 exactly. to $40 million advertising campaign that for theatrical. So like, I, I, I'm, I am less skeptical of, uh PVOD as a uh as as a as as a new window than I used to be. I I, I when I when you know during the pandemic I was very nervous and I think uh I think it has been oh, a yeah. net benefit. Um but uh but streaming is 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 a different thing entirely. All right let's uh let's shift let's shift to and I do think and I'll 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 make this yeah. really quick because I know you want to shift but I do think most of the studios have gotten to a point where they treat streaming like for free, you know, free on a streaming platform as sort of the end of the theatrical window. So, you know, that is that, you know, if they, to the extent that they don't necessarily consider DVD and VOD and PVOD separate entities anymore, the way they used to movies are getting a 90 day theatrical window to a certain extent, right? You know, because a movie comes out in theaters from Disney and 90 days later, it's on Disney plus. Right. And I think in a skewed way, that is the new normal. Yeah. Well, I mean, I do think, look, uh, uh, before we shift, I, I do think that there is a, uh, you say that there's, there, the, the audience for HBO Max is not necessarily uh, thinking about Warner Brothers as, you know, tightly branded to that and not necessarily, I would look at something like Blue Beetle or even The Flash, right? And, and kind of push back on that a little bit because those are two movies where, because because like first off they're they're kind of mediocre they they weren't getting tons of great buzz um uh and you know uh folks weren't that excited for them add to that the well it's going to be on HBO Max in 60 days 90 days we know it's going to be there that's where all the superman movies show up that's where all the batman movies are right like we we're just going to wait i hear that i heard that from a ton of people i just i like anecdotally i will say that i heard that from tons and tons of people I didn't go see Blue Beetle because it's going to be on HBO Max in two months. So why bother? Um, and that may be the case for films that themselves are already commercial theatrical risks. Obviously, the Internet vastly overestimated the interest in The Flash. Not to toot my own horn, but, you know, the real world didn't give a shit about Michael Keaton being Batman again. All due respect. Um, the real world did not care about a Flash movie in the abstract starring an actor who either no one's ever heard of or they've heard of for not great reasons um, as part of a franchise that, you know, has not been particularly successful in terms of making people excited about the universe itself. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's, it's again, it's, it was a very different situation from Spider-Man No Way Home. Right. right. Um, that being said, I do think Blue Beetle, which I thought for the record was a pretty damn good movie, and I am angry that it was not released in 2017, 2018, back when comic book superhero movies were automatically a big deal. And I do believe there is, whether it's correlation or causation, I do think Warner Brothers and you know DC and especially Marvel has something to answer to in terms of spending so gosh darn long to truly diversify and inclusify their lineup until right before people stop, stop giving a shit. Because I think the Marvels would have been a hit in 2017, 2018. You know, Blue Beetle would have been a hit in 2017, 2018. And they basically waited to put out, 
you know, films fronted by not a white guy named Chris until almost the end of that moment in time. Yeah, I uh, I think the Marvels had separate issues, which mostly again, I like I, I keep coming back to Disney. People are probably tired of me talking about Disney Plus, but like the the Marvels, uh, the big issue with that movie is that it's the sequel to two television shows that nobody watched. Like in addition Mitch. to being to to being to being in it in addition to being the sequel to a movie that is I think not super despite grossing one point one billion dollars was not like at the top tier of Marvel. No, movies. it's it's uh, fine. Whatever. Right. Um, it's a solid three star picture, and for that matter, I think the Marvels, even though it obviously was hacked to death in the editing room, and it looks it. I think as big screen entertainment, it's a fun, enjoyable three star romp. It looks great in IMAX. The cast is charming and charismatic. The dialogue is funny and there's a lot of cat stuff. In a world where that was, you know, being Venom quality was enough, I think it would have been fine. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, 2000, 2000, (laughs) 2018, 2019 was a wild time. Like movies like Captain Marvel and Aquaman grossing 1.1 to 1.2 billion dollars. Like that is a, a, you know, that's that's a very weird moment in our, our cultural history. And things have, I think changed a bit um all right so so comic Sorry, book movies that. on the decline uh what what has really kept the box office afloat this year in a surprising way or at least has has provided some cushion uh is the explosion of niche films you know movies movies that are appealing um to fairly narrow cast but still sizable audiences uh you know you we Sound of Freedom earlier in the year was a huge one. Uh, Taylor Swift's The Eras Tour um, was another very big one. Uh, you know, Beyonce's concert movie comes out and has one of the biggest openings for a concert film of all time. Uh, you, you can look at Godzilla Minus One, which I believe uh, is the first. I think I, I think I read this. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, had the first number one day for yes. a Japanese live action movie no, for any foreign live action okay. picture. Uh, I think since it, since he, uh, Jet Li's Hero in late 20, 2004. Okay. Okay. So like that that is that's pulling in another kind of interesting small audience. And the, the, to the, be fair, Beyonce is not playing on the weekdays, but nonetheless. Right. 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 But and that, well, I, same with Taylor Swift. You know, they're doing yeah. the AMC is is doing that kind of interesting, weird uh, distribution thing. Uh, but and then you have the explosion of Indian cinema. Indian cinema is very very popular, or at least is putting together a nice little niche product. How have niche uh, films uh, targeted at niche audiences uh, found great prominence this year? Well, I think this goes back to 2021. They have basically kept theaters alive. And, you know, theaters are opening in 20, more or less opening in 2021. And obviously, you know, when nothing else was show, you know, when people weren't showing up for normal movies, People were showing up in numbers good enough to, you know, justify them to animate pictures like Demon Hunter, mm-hmm. um, sorry, Demon Slayer, and other, you know, other ones that I'm gonna, I'm not gonna try to pronounce because it's not my cup of tea. My kids love them. They're the Dragon cool. Balls, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, the Dragon Ball pictures and other ones that I would butcher if I tried to pronounce them. Um, and you have Indian pictures that, you know, like RRR and Bataan and Jawan. And this weekend, Animal made about six and change. And we've always had Indian cinema, almost on a weekly basis, if you happen to live in an area where they play on a weekly basis. 
But the difference is in 2017, when I'm going to butcher this, I apologize. Balu Habi, the conclusion made almost $20 million domestic in early 2017. That wasn't seen as a valuable lifeline, keeping theaters afloat. Uh, it was just, Oh, that's cool. Um, or when something like Saho would open in late 2019 and, and a Chi- you know, a Chinese animated spectacular like, uh, oh God, I just forgot the name of it. I should not have brought it up, but it's wonderful. Um, God. It's fine. It's called? It's fine. Okay. Uh, anyway, I'll look it up later while, while you're talking. Um, and, but yeah, what we've seen is what I like to call demographically, demographically specific event movies, which they play to a specific fan base that otherwise isn't going to show up to theaters. And they show up to those films in numbers that are, you know, 10 to 20 million domestic total, give or take. Um, obviously, there's some exceptions. If something like Demon Slayer or The Sound of Freedom goes bonkers bananas. Um, but that's more than enough to justify them being in theaters. And these are films that previously would play as if they didn't exist. And by that, I mean the audience that sees that wasn't going to go to theaters if these films weren't in play. And in a healthy marketplace, everything else exists as if they weren't around. The example I always give to this is the last Twilight movie, which made $800 million worldwide in late 2012. But that played exclusively to the fan base. So because of that, it did zero damage to films like Skyfall, Lincoln, and The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey, or Life of Pi. Pa- Life of Pi. Pa- Life of Pi. Pa- that was 2021, 2011, so that was the previous Twilight movie. But and in a healthy theatrical environment, you know, films like the later Harry Potter films, the later Twilight sequels, the later Hunger Games sequels, and even to a certain extent the Zack Snyder DC movies that are playing, I would say, exclusively to a very big fan base but aren't doing any damage to everything else in the marketplace. What's changed is that in a decline, a theatrical marketplace where it's harder and harder for what I like to call studio programmers to survive. Those films are essential. Theaters need that 10 to $20 million on the semi-regular. And that was sort of the whole point of the Taylor Swift thing. That if AMC can build a, a miniature business of, marquee movie star pop stars with big concert films that even if they aren't going to do be you know taylor swift numbers even if they aren't going to do beyonce numbers if they can do you know 20 to 40 million worldwide on the semi-regular that can make up for a lot of product that isn't there and they can make up for a lot of under underwhelming temples um bonkers bananas example so humor me for a second sound of freedom was probably projected to do 50 million domestic at most. Because mm. you have something like Breakthrough that does 50 million. God's Not Dead does 60. Again, it wasn't crazy. You know, Barbie, I think we kind of expected Barbie to do around 200 million domestic at best. And that would have been spectacular. Same thing with uh, Oppenheimer, uh, Oppenheimer. If it does, you know, Dunkirk interstellar numbers and does around 200 million domestic, spectacular, wonderful. Everybody wins. Those films made about $850 million domestic more than expected, which means they gave theaters an extra $850 million in revenue <coughs> that they were not expecting for that quarter. And it would be great, to, you know, if they, oh, you know, you can't bet on that every time, you know, that, that, that isn't going to happen every year. 
And that is true. But why not? You know, last year it was Top Gun. The year before that, it was Spider-Man No Way Home. In 2019, it was, you know, Avengers doing bonkers business and Frozen 2 doing bonkers business. You know, and in 2018, you had Incredibles 2 selling more tickets than Return of the King in North America. So it it is, you know, as much as I hate the idea of theaters sort of depending on a Top Gun Maverick style blowout, we might get one or two of those a year. The films that aren't breaking out and becoming event films are making less than they would have in pre-COVID times, maybe by around 10 to 20%. But the films that are breaking out are leggier and probably making more money than they would have in non-COVID times. Mm -hmm. And this goes back to Godzilla v. Kong, which was expected to be a disappointment after Godzilla King of the Monsters flopped. Mm -hmm. And there there were several films in 2021, uh, Spider-Man No Way Home, obviously, Godzilla v. Kong, Dune, Free Guy, that I would argue did better when they came out than they would have done as just another, you know, franchise, tentpole, whatever, mm. in non-COVID times. Well, part of this also is we discussed the the reduction in number of films. I mean, part of this is instead of having $200 million movies out uh, every weekend as we did, I feel like, I I feel like we were, there, there was a real glut in, there was a real blockbuster gut glut in 2018, 2019 in particular. Um, but then, but now we'll, we'll, you get something like, uh, one, a $100 million movie every two or three weeks. And that feels yeah. like a much more sustainable pace of production and release than what we, for, what we had before for the studios. Maybe. But for the theaters, the problem is, is that the 20 to $50 million movies barely make money anymore. Right. And people say, oh, you know, why don't theaters, you know, why don't studios make more regular movies? Because you, generically speaking, I'm talking to you, stop showing up to see them in theaters. You know, in late 2019, Warner Brothers released, released a shitload of, you know, exactly what we claimed we want to see in theaters. Did you see The Good Liar in theaters? Did you see Doctor Sleep? Did you see Richard Jewell? Did you see The Kitchen? You know, did you see Blinded by the Light? Uh, probably not. You saw Joker. You saw It Chapter 2. Um, and, you know, even in early 2020, before COVID happened, did you see The Way Back with Ben Affleck? Um, did you see Birds of Prey, even? Which was a freaking comic book superhero movie. You know, the internet claims everybody wants Birds of Prey, but they show up for Joker. Right. And that is a huge problem. Um... You know, it, it, you know, studios are not charities, but they're also, they also like money. So if you show up to Dr. Sleep, they'll make more Dr. Sleep. If audiences showed up to Queen of Katwe, Katwe, sorry, Disney would make them. You know, I, I don't know Sean Bailey that well, but I think, you know, I know for a fact that if people still showed up to McFarland USA, he would rather make money with both The Lion King and A Wrinkle in Time. The problem is the market is spoken. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny uh, talking, thinking about AMC because, I mean, for years, AMC, and maybe they still have this. I, I don't know. I, I don't go to his AMCs as often as I used to. Uh, but a, the AMC Artisan program, right? So AMC had this uh, essentially indie-ish arm that they, they would. They do kind of have it on their side, yes. So so they had that. And it, I 
I, maybe I'm wrong here, but I always got the sense that this was a uh, this did not work as a as a business model, or at least it, it was not it was not it did not work in the sense that it, it was not producing lots of like big surprise hits. I'll put it that way. Um, certainly in the way that like the Taylor ironically, Swift. with the exception of one of the first films to do it, which was yesterday, mm-hmm. the film yesterday, you know, the, 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 you know, the guy, everyone forgets the Beatles exist. Right, right. This guy does Beatles. I'd love to see a remake with Weird Al Yankovic, but I digress. <laughs> um, and you know, that, that was a shockingly leggy, you know, adult skewing movie. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was one of the worst movies of the year, but I'll know that theatrical and you know theatrical ecosystem has has truly recovered when I can kind of root for movies like that to fail again. Yeah, you know yeah. I'm old enough to remember in 2014 it was like, ha ha, Exodus is bombing because it's terrible. Ha ha ha. Yeah, and I, 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 you can't root for any against anything anymore. Now yeah. you have to root for Space Jam: A New Legacy and Waka. <laughs> the look on your face right now is wonderful. I want to. It's it's we don't have video, but it's 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 pretty great. Um, the uh, let's let's talk about. Like, Speaking of Ridley Scott uh, and and uh, historical epics, I want I want your opinion on this. Is our let me let me uh, rephrase are Napoleon and Killers of the Flower Moon hits because they're found money or flops because they made they're going to make one hundred fifty million dollars worldwide on two hundred million dollar budget? I think for now, and if you're somebody that's upset that like. Napoleon's being considered a hot hit while the Marvel's considered to be a flop. I get that. I really do. Um, the difference is, I would argue, the Marvel's was made to make money in theaters, while Napoleon and Killers of the Flower Moon and Air were arguably not. And for now, if Amazon and Apple feel like basically playing modern day, you know, patronages of the arts, you know, the rich you know, royalty that gives money to people to make good art and, you know, entertain the masses. And they don't really care if anyone actually sees those films in theaters. Great, wonderful, awesome. But if we do get to a circumstance in a year or two where they're like, yeah, we're really tired of like spending $200 million on these movies that at best make 100 to 150 worldwide and don't really boost the streaming numbers, then I think that notion will be will be gone as fast as it came. Yeah. And then we'll be back to whatever stream, whatever Netflix is willing to fund. Um, but for now, it, they are being held by a different standard, ap- judged by a different standard. Absolutely. But there is a different standard. You know, the right now, Apple and Amazon are basically hoping that they will get credit just for those films existing. Mm-hmm. Which, to be fair, is how Netflix came to be Netflix in the late 2010s, which drove me nuts. And, you know, one, whoever, I don't remember the person's name. They don't work at Paramount anymore. But I, one of the people at Paramount on the weekend that Mother opened quite badly, despite good reviews, and got an F from CinemaScore, because of course it did. And they basically said to the effect of, and these are my words, not theirs, but like, fuck you. If Netflix had made this movie, you'd all be dancing in the streets and giving them, wow, Netflix is making movies that Hollywood mo- won't, yippee skippy. But now that Hollywood makes a movie like that, you're all, ooh, it didn't do well at the box office and it got F from CinemaScore. And I had long been angered by Netflix basically getting credit just for a movie existing, regardless of whether anyone was going to watch it. And often cases, they would not watch it. Um, or they would not watch it to the extent that, like, the latest 
you know, Ryan Reynolds fantasy. And that's, you know, I, I think the Adam project is fine. So I'm not picking on Ryan Reynolds. Um, or, you know, the latest, you know, Cocomelon episode. Or, and this has been something I've been tracking since 2020 when there was nothing else to write about. You know, we see this every week where some random theatrical nothing burger ends up the most watched movie on Netflix. Yeah. And the media likes to act like it means something. It doesn't. It's just that people gravitate toward theatrical movies. They want theatrical movies in terms of production value and prestige and all of that jazz. They just are a hell of a lot less likely to see it in theaters. And that's the that's the conundrum of the streaming era right now. Yeah. Um, and I got off the topic a little bit, so I'm going to try to come back to dry land. To answer your question, yes, they are being treated by, you know, the, 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 the mega-budget epics from Scorsese and Ridley Scott and for now, you know, Matthew Vaughn's Argyle, which is opening in January, that's going to, you know, it's, it's Universal's releasing it in theaters, Apple's going to put it on Apple TV+, and for now, all of those films have to do is just make enough money to not be embarrassing. They are glorified PR campaigns for the streaming, uh, camp, you know, the streaming release. And you could argue the same thing for like the films that were supposed to be on HBO Max that came out in theaters this year. Blue Beetle, Evil Dead Rise, Magic Mike's Last Dance, and The House Party Relaunch. Um, of those, you know, Evil Dead Rise was actually a hit. Right, right. Um, and it's, it's weird. It's complicated. But again, we were seeing that before COVID. You know, to me, it's like, oh, you know, it, it is skewed, you know, almost tug-in-cheek way. You know, when Nancy Drew and the Hidden Staircase was at AMC Theaters for three weeks before it went on PVOD from Warner Brothers, I was like, this could change everything. <laughs> and I wasn't entirely joking. Um, and because right now, Netflix is really the only holdout in terms of not putting their, even their big prestigious films in something resembling a normal theatrical release. And you could say, oh, Glass Onion. And which I will say, no, Glass Onion was released in wide theatrical release over Thanksgiving weekend for one reason, to fuck over the actual theatrical studios that had a bunch of movies opening over Thanksgiving weekend. Yes. Because they could have done that in any number of relatively empty October, November, December weekends. They chose Thanksgiving to screw over the Fablemans, to screw over Devotion, to screw over Strange World. And they got away with it. Well, that is, that's the, Netflix getting away with it. Uh, I, you know, look, I like Netflix fine. No. I like, I like Netflix fine. And I, they're I think... not the villain in this story. We're all adults doing, you know, running an adult right. business, but sorry, I interrupted you, please. No, 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 no. It just, I, like this, the, I, I uh, this is, this is a, a common frustration. I also share with you when it comes to Netflix is that like, it is very clear that they are doing certain things, uh, in a way to deprive theaters of uh product uh, yes and and I, I i find i find that's the thing i find most annoying about netflix is when they you know uh when they buy something uh up that was gonna have that would that may have would may have played in in theaters mm -hmm. and uh then is not going to and it's weird how whenever somebody has like a a theatrical breakout adult skewing or non-adult skewing it it's weird how Netflix just always snatches them up for their next movie. Yeah. I yeah. wonder why that is. Well, I, this is the, uh, what is the, uh, the Glenn Powell movie Hitman, right? Yes. That was, that was a, another perfect example. You've got this guy who is uh, big, the breakout star uh, of Top Gun Maverick. You know, people saw him, they liked him. 
He makes a movie with Richard Linklater. You know, people like Richard Linklater. He's made a lot of good movies. Uh, and where does it's supposed their... to be very funny? I have not seen it. It's supposed to. It plays great with audiences. Yeah. People, people at the festivals loved it. And where does it end up? It ends up on Netflix because Netflix throws thirty million bucks or whatever at the distributor and snatches it up. And now that's not going to be in theaters. It's going to be yeah. on Netflix. Uh, which and you know. yeah, and it's my issue with Netflix isn't so much Netflix. It's that they are graded on, they are judged on a different standard in terms of the choices that they make. And most importantly, the reason we're in this entire mess that we're in is Wall Street basically bullied the entire industry to be like Netflix, led them off a cliff, and then said, get yourself back up, assholes. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's for sure. That's for sure. All right, uh, so, uh, Moving on, our right, final topic here. This is this is a thing we dis- we discussed it a little bit on on uh, Twitter. We discussed it a little bit on Twitter. Uh, musicals. Now there was a there was a story on Screen Crush uh, uh, about how the great, s- wonderful Matt Singer. Matt Singer, uh, mutual. He's been on this show. Whose new Siskel Ebert book? I will eventually listen to the audio book, and he will get my money one way or another. Whether I have time to read it, I don't know. He he uh, he voiced the the audiobook. If you oh, even if better. You, so if you if you want to listen to Matt Singer talk about his book, uh, that would be he was he was on this show talking about his book. He, it was a great show. Everybody seemed to seem to like it. Um, but it, Matt Matt made a very good point, which is that a lot of uh, a lot of there we have we have three high profile musicals coming out in the in the coming month or so. We have Wonka, uh, we have uh, the Color Purple remake. And Mean Girls. And all three of these movies are being advertised in a way that at least does not emphasize that they are musicals and may actually be actively hiding the fact that they are musicals. I I, I, I linked to Wonka the other day. I linked to a, a review of it or something. And somebody replied and surprised, wait, this is a musical? I didn't even understand. And yes, it's, it, it is a musical, uh, like, the, like the original. Um, so the the I made I made uh, I tweeted kind of tongue in cheek like well you know uh, the uh, the reason that they they're not marketing these as musicals is because nobody wants to see musicals so Hollywood should really stop making musicals and this is a position that endears me to many of my listeners here at the Bulwark uh, the, the but uh, the but the the I I, and I said I, somebody is wrong on the internet and to you, the office you said you said I was wrong but I want to I want to I really actually look. It, it it depends on a couple things here. It depends on how we define musicals. And I foolishly mm-hmm. forgot to carve out animation. Animated musicals still do okay, though less than they used to because Disney has shot itself in the foot with Disney Plus coming back to that hobby horse. Yep. Uh, but, 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 but we have seen a series of high-profile musical flops in recent years. And I don't think it's... You can't count Bohemian Rhapsody or A Star is Born or the Whitney Houston... Well, I'll happily not uh, talk to Mr. Hewton one because that one flopped. You can't, you can't, you can't count those because those are not musicals. We all know what we mean when we say musicals. Musicals are movies where song and dance break out for no good reason on the street and in in real life. That is a musical. That is like a musical. Rocky not Ford. a musical biopic. Not a musical biopic. That's. But my point here is, I and I think this is again. I think it's a totally reasonable argument. You look at like. In the Heights or West Side Story um, or I mean, I you could yes. you just 
uh, cats. Dear Evan Hansen. Um, Dear Evan Hansen is the best example of this because it's a, just a awful, awful movie, awful bomb. Um, and you you kind of have to go. I think where I where I uh, drew, drew the line was um, uh, the Greatest Showman, which was a surprise hit and only a hit because it legged out. Like nobody showed mm-hmm. up for that yeah, movie it didn't at open first. That people well. people people saw people saw it, and the word about this very good, and it built and built and built. It, it had multiple of like. 20 or something, right? I mean, it was like some crazy yes. number. Yeah. I mean, it was the most leggiest wide release since Titanic. Some just this and absolutely I was doing the daily updates back in 2018, 17, because people liked reading them. And it's like, you know, I was looking at the leggiest wide releases of all time. It's like, now it's past that. Now it's past that. Oh, like, holy shit. It ended yeah. up like in like fifth place for anything. Yeah. So, uh, so that was a legitimate hit, but that was like six or seven years ago. And since yes. then, everything, every musical, Every musical musical, every proper musical has bombed. Now, look, obviously, this is like saying, you know, any other like, oh, well, the sword and sandal genre is dead, you know, or the historical biopic is like, obviously, things come and go. Genres wane and wax, um, et cetera. But I do think that the reason they are hiding this is because they think correctly that audiences are not very interested in musicals, qua musicals uh, and have shown that at the box office. In a post-COVID world, whatever the hell, or a COVID-era world, obviously it's not over, all due respect, that may be true, because you're right. I mean, there's no evidence. Again, unless, unless you're like me and you count Elvis as a musical, but I Not a musical. Yes, <laughs> it's that's a, a biopic. It's a it's musically a biopic inclined biopic, no. and people go for a lot of the same reasons they'd go to a rock concert. I mean, Star Wars... Concert, concert made movies... Also not musical. Somebody was like, oh, but the Taylor Swift Eras tour is a hit. People love you. I would think that's not a musical. It's a concert movie. Like, it's totally I mean, different. You know, it's perfect too. Um The Hunger Games bout of songs. I mean, Rachel Ziegler has like 20 musical numbers on that, which never enough. I love listening to her sing. Um, but anyway. Um But yes, here here's first of all, the studio is hiding that a film is a musical, it's not new. You know, Sweeney Todd, that was an infamous example in, in late 2017 where you literally had people going to the movie, you know, an R-rated Tim Burton, you know, horror movie. It's like, why is Johnny Depp singing? What the hell? Which, again, open to Google. Um, to be fair, anyway. I, I just want to, that actually happened to me. I, like, <gasps> I I was, I had no idea that it was Paul a Stephen Sondheim musical. I had no idea that was not, because I'm not a musical theater guy. I just showed up and uh, it was, it, I sat down and it was an audience unlike the audience I was expecting for that movie. I'll just put it that way. It was, it was a very, uh, it was a, it was a, the, it was, it was not who I was in. And the movie started playing. I was like, Oh, Oh, I see what's happening. I see what I've done here. <laughs> so they did their homework. <laughs> well, they, but they knew, they just knew they were, you know, the musical theater um, fans had shown up and I was like, yeah. Oh, okay. That That's being it. said, I find, and again, we can debate uh, again. I'm more lenient about defining what a musical is. Um, and but I think the musical is like the Western and what everybody likes to say that they're dead. But whenever Hollywood makes a good one that works as crowd pleasing entertainment, it tends to do well. Um, and, you know, Greatest Showman, La La Land, Les Miserables, Mamma Mia, Mamma Mia's Revenge. Um, and then if you're dealing with animation, Sing, uh, Sing 2. You know, obviously all the Disney stuff, all the Disney live action remakes, which I think tend to do better when they're based on musicals. Um, Mulan's a weird because, I mean, that was going to be a 
For the record, Mulan was going to be a smash before theaters shut down. It was tracking to make so much money worldwide that it wouldn't have even needed China. Um, but I digress. Um, and even Little Mermaid, I mean, it cost too much and there was no overseas interest. Again, same thing with Ghostbusters, same thing with Solo Star Wars Story, same thing with Lightyear. But it still made $300 million world in North America. So, um, now, as for why they are hiding that it's a musical, I just think it's it's old habits that are wrong. Now, having said that, they're, you know, they may drop a trailer at some point with all the songs. People whined in 2013 that, oh, you know, Frozen is hiding that it's a musical. Yeah, the announcement teaser did, but pretty much every trailer and TV spot after that gave you a pretty good hint that, A, it was a girl-powered animated feature. This wasn't a Tangled-type thing where they were hiding that it was a Rapunzel movie. And that there were songs. And, uh, you know, we may get a second Mean Girls trailer that has songs in it. We may get a second uh, Wonka trailer that has so or a third Wonka trailer that has songs in it. And I don't know why they are hiding it. I really don't. But I think in terms of the live action musical, in terms of at least pre-COVID, it was as bankable a, as a live action theatrical genre as anything else that other than, you know, other than high concept horror and DC Marvel superhero movies. Is that still the case? I don't know. I do think In the Heights would have been a bigger hit in, in you know, a, in a non-COVID world. Um, I though, I mean, and I do think West Side Story, while not a blockbuster, would have done a little bit better in a non-COVID world. Dear Evan Hansen, I think that's a problem. The same thing with Cats, where you don't have marquee characters. Um, you know, it, and as for Cats, that's a classic example of a property that everybody's heard of, but nobody actually likes. I mean, even when I was a kid, Cats was the one, you know, that was a punchline. It's the one that you take your right. kids when they're in New York because you can't, they're too young for Miss Saigon. Right. Uh, no one actually liked Cats. It was just the one you took your families to. <clears throat> Fair. Um, and although I still remain shocked at the number of people that watched the Cats trailer not having any idea what the property was. And then six months later, somehow managed to come to the movie without bothering to do a simple Wikipedia search. And we're shocked all over again by not knowing what Cats was. Yeah. But my feeling was, on Cats is it was a pretty accurate adaptation of a pretty mediocre musical. Um, I I have friends who will defend that movie, and I think I do think it's an interesting it's an interesting. Oh film. yeah, it, it it, it's a swing and a miss, failure. but it's a hell of a swing. <clears throat> it's a it's a big big swing, big mess. And contrary uh, to the belief, that film didn't break the world. It was Rise of Skywalker. Well, uh, yeah, that. The, the whole different again there's there are disney plus issues at play here with star wars and 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 rise of skywalker and everything else all right uh so scott i i want to i give give people the pitch on your Substack because i have like i said i've been reading you uh for years now uh back uh for for that uh the the um i think uh i think you are the 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 most accessible uh, but also most in-depth uh, box office person uh, out there. Give me, give me what you're, what you're throwing out for folks. Uh, basically, my pitch is give me money so I can keep doing it. <laughs> no, it is a Substack, and it basically the intent is to sort of do what I was doing at Forbes, 
and do what I was doing at, you know, Mendelssohn's Memos, if you're old and you remember that. That was my blog spot that got me into this, you know, madness that I did as sort of an obsessive compulsive hobby for five years before I was hired by Forbes. Um, five bucks a month. Uh, right now, nothing is paywalled. But as of New Year's, it will be at least partially paywalled. And I'm still trying to figure that out for myself in terms of, but let me, let me put it this way. If I do a post on a trailer, that will not be paywalled. But, you know, because th- I'd like to not just do one epic poem a day, but I also don't want to spam everybody's in, you know email with like six emails from the outside scoop every day. So yeah. I'm still kind of trying working on that. Um, my goal is to sort of go back to my roots in terms of the kind of deep dive numbers analysis that people liked or they didn't like, but they read it anyways, for whatever reason. You know, I, you know, at my best, I ended up predicting many industry trends years before they actually happened. Like Hollywood losing interest in, in, sorry, China losing interest in Hollywood movies because they had their own Deadpool industry. And I, I didn't come to that conclusion in late 2014 because I was a genius. I went and saw a few, few Chinese tentpoles at IMAX said, oh shit, they can do this now. Um, you know, I wrote a piece in 2018 about, no, no, do not oversaturate, you know, with Star Wars and Marvel TV shows just to boost Disney+. Plus. You will kill your brand. I remember who wants to be a millionaire. I know how this ends. Um... And again, I'm not saying I'm the only person that thought this. I'm not saying I'm the only person that put it down on Digital Inc. But, you know, it has been a source of frustration that, you know, years later, people, you know, as the big observational insight, something that I wrote about seven years ago. So what do you get if you pay up? You get to be way out of the curve and helpless to do anything about it, which kind of is terrible. Because the number of times where I was John McClane with the fire torches and the snowy airport saying, don't land, don't land, while the plane crashes. Not fun. Yeah. Uh, um, we, 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 have a, we have a guy here, Jonathan V. Last, who is very much the same way. He's going to put you ahead of the curve. You just may not like where that yes. puts you. Though so, that's in the political realm. It's not, you know. So, yeah. And it's, it's, it's you know, it's, it's my analysis and my commentary is always my opinion, my subjective, educated, hopefully informed opinion and if you disagree with my take, that's okay. Hopefully, I'll show enough work so you can at least understand how I got there. And when I am critical, I try to, you know, it tries to be tough love. I want the, the industry to succeed because if they don't, I'm out of a job. Um, you know, if theatrical goes kaplut, there's not much analysis you can do with, you know, Netflix and, and Amazon. Like, oh, you know, Deadpool 3 was the most watched movie on Disney Plus over the weekend of February, not counting holiday weekends. Okay, thanks. Neat. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, 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 uh, I am also doing a weekly column for Puck News that will be sort of a macro box office related essay. Um, but those that just want the weekly, the weekend roundup, you'll still get that on Sunday mornings. Uh, if you want the Friday numbers, you'll still get that on Saturday mornings and probably the midnight numbers, Thursday numbers too on Friday mornings. The difference is twofold. A, I'm not going to try to stretch one post worth of news into like six posts so I can chase every SEO headline. And B, I'm going to be trying to do this so I don't alienate and frustrate every member of my family in the mm-hmm. process. So if 
that weekend write-off needs to wait, it will wait. Uh, I promise you it will be worth waiting for, but it might not be first. Because um, if this is going to work, it's going to have to work in a way that where I'm not inconveniencing everybody else in my household. Um, as, as syrupy as that sounds. The life, the life of a substack. Uh, this is not, it's not unfamiliar to us. Uh, anyway, folks should sign up. Uh, I, I am, uh, after I hang up with Scott here, I will be signing up myself. So you should follow me and do that. Uh, we'll have a link in the email again that goes with oh, this podcast. Hi, people that are signing up for a free subscription, even though I know you have company credit cards, I see you. <laughs> well, that's, uh, you know. That's a, there's there's a lot of things to subscribe to out there, but uh, but folks should should pay for it because as I always say, if you like something, you should pay for it because if you don't pay for it, it'll stop existing. Uh, that is a yeah. a, a real problem in this. And that's world. a good reason to see the movies, and this has come, become my most controversial hot take over the decades. You need to see the movies that you claim you want to see in theaters when those films are in theaters. If you wait until streaming if you wait until honestly even physical media to a certain extent those films will cease to exist because in terms of production value in terms of the star power those films need theatrical budgets to exist and in order to justify theatrical budgets they need to make at least some money while they're in theaters yep all right uh scott thanks for being back on the show i appreciate Uh, it you're very welcome it's a pleasure i hope i didn't ramble too much and I hope I didn't talk too loud, but uh, yeah, I think, it was a pleasure. I, I think it was the perfect amount and pitch of rambling. It was great. Uh, all right. Uh, again, thanks, Scott, for being on the show. Uh, my name is Sonny Bunch. I am culture editor at The Bulwark, and I will be back next week with another episode of The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. Damn it. Niza. That was the Chinese cartoon from late 2019. Uh, I took my kid in IMAX. It was freaking awesome. I think it's on Netflix. All right. Uh, flat callback. Call back previously in the episode. All right, we'll see you guys next week.